What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we have reached the conclusion of the off-season workout program. The last organized team activities practice open to reporters was uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, so this is the last glimpse of your Miami Dolphins until they get back to work in late July for the start of training camp. Uh, players coaches will have about a one month sabbatical, a month, one month break before they get back to work for the upcoming season. Uh, we're going to recap all of that in this episode. But first, I want to bring in Miami Herald Deputy Sports Editor Andre Fernandez. Andre, how you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me again, Daniel. And yeah, it's hard to believe it's less than two months till till the real business picks up. Uh, I say the real business because you know how it is training camp and then it's, it's on, you know, then we all right into the season. No, exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, of course, this OTA offseason workout program, um, you know, kind of took on a lot, a little bit more meaning, a little bit more importance because it is the first under the Mike McDaniel, uh, you know, led, led team um, right. with this new regime. Um, and we got to saw bits and pieces of, of the team that we're expected to, to see in 2022. Um, and like I said, we're going to get into a bunch of that, but I, but I want to start with some uh, really, I guess, big news from the Dolphins last week, uh, some some noteworthy news, and that was Tua Tungabailoa's comments. Um, this was the first time that we had spoken to Tua in about uh, about a couple months, about two or three months, um, dating back to when he made his first comments um, at the beginning of the offseason workout program, uh, and Tua was Tua was a, was a bit demonstrative, if I if I do say so myself. Um, there's been a lot of questions, a lot of comments about arm strength, downfield passing. Um, and, and we finally asked Tua about that. And it just so happened that on that day before Tua spoke to us, he connected deep with Tyree Kill twice. Um, the connection was looking pretty good. Dare I say it's best uh, since the offseason workout program. And he had uh, some fiery comments. Let me bring up the exact uh, the exact comments. He said, for me, it's just zone that out in regards to the criticism. I mean, we come out to practice, everyone else, Twitter warriors, keyboard warriors, whatever you want to call them, they're not out here practicing with us, working hard. So I don't know if you guys recorded that last one to Tyreek. I don't know about you, but that one looked like money. And I got to give to a credit, the past that he's talking about to Tyreek Hill, it was money. Um, but those comments caused uh, a bit of a I should say, you know, everyone took that quote and uh, they, they, they had their comments. Um, I, I want to ask you, Andre, did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate the comments? No, I, I liked it because, yeah, he's probably sick of the, the criticism already. He wants to go out there and prove himself. He proves that not just prove, but like show everybody that he can do it, that he that this connection can work. And not just with Tyree Kill, but with this entire make this entire offense work next season because you know bringing in Mike McDaniel and a new scheme, there's a lot of hope, a lot of expectations with this team, and I mean you you bring in a player of the elite caliber of a Tyree Kill, it better work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah. it, it, there's a lot of pressure that's that that is he's facing overall, and, and some of that I think it was good, and I think if there's one person that's going to be counting the you know whatever it is now forty something days till training camp opens up. It's definitely going to be Tua, and I, I'm not surprised one bit that maybe maybe it, it's kind of like a little showing that it's kind of getting to a little bit. He can't wait. He's like itching to kind of show people, hey, I can do this, and we'll see. Because you know, one thing is to do that. Yes, it was great, and one but one thing is to do that in that setting. Another thing is to do it in a pressure packed setting of a regular season game. So we'll see. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought that the timing of this was was very interesting because Tua is not one to really win win the interview, win the podium session. Um, he's usually pretty pretty bland, you know, deflects from these types of questions. Just says, "Hey, I'm just focused on getting better." He 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 even said it himself, and he said it multiple times. Like he doesn't have cable, he doesn't go on social media. Everything he hears is from the Dolphins PR team. So they definitely must have told him before. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm very certain they must have told him. There's there's yeah. been some chatter, and and really the comments came on the heels of some other comments that he made to, uh, to muscle and fitness, you know, he has a muscle, a muscle milk, um, endorsement. Um, and, and, you know, they were talking about, you know, his off season workout program, what he does to get in shape and get ready for the season. And I, I thought that in, in what was kind of a unassuming interview to kind of made some startling comments where he said, quote, I wasn't really able to push the ball down the field last year because we didn't have plays specifically to push the ball downfield. A lot of plays that were called last year were meant for one person. Either this person is open or the play might be dead. And that was like mind, not mind blowing, but it was just kind of very shocking to me because this was Tua's first time really acknowledging and admitting, hey, our offense was not really built to stretch defenses and throw the ball down the field. Now, of course, Tua left out the fact that the offensive line wasn't very good. Um, Tua, I mean, Tua's receivers weren't that great. Um, the offensive scheme was kind of built for him and kind of being an RPO-based offense that gets the ball out quickly. So I think a lot of people took that quote to kind of twist around and say, oh, well, this kind of proves the – prior regimes and competence when I don't really look at it that way. I think that, um, you know, that was kind of a byproduct of the team that was around him and in part Tua himself. Um, so again, I mean, that's where a lot of last week's kind of talk about arm strength and downfield passing came from. And I just found that it was interesting because people will take that and say, oh, well, that just shows that the system that, you know, this wasn't a good fit for him or a good environment for him to, to flourish last year. When in fact, I think that he was actually helped by the fact that he had that type of system around him. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I thought that quote, especially even more than in the other one was kind of in the sense of him putting that out there. I mean, it's good that he didn't, you know, he didn't go out. He kind of implied it in trash his teammates or say, you know, this and that, but it's true. It was a byproduct of the way the roster was constructed at the time. And yeah, I mean, but he still has to take that step. And I think he realizes that I think he still needs to, to improve when it comes to, I mean, I think you you had a good stat. I think that you looked up from um, from um, I'm trying to remember which Sports website. Info Solutions. Sports Info Solutions, right? Okay, yeah, correct. that was the one where it wasn't so much as accuracy on defaults, but just the fact that they didn't try it. Exactly. I mean, I think it was like a very low, a 30th in the league, 25 overall attempts, and, and from that distance when you throw yeah. it that far. So I mean, they just didn't try to go down the field really, and you know, and that's what's left. This whole conundrum is whether he can do it or not, or was it just the system that just wasn't, you know, where they gun shy of having, not having, not giving him the opportunity to do that. They definitely will this year. This year, I think he's going to have ample chance to prove that he's going to have it because with this system, with the tools that they've added, with the, with the pieces that they've added in that offense, you know, with Tyreek and and existing players that now I think are going to have a chance like Jalen Waddle to flourish even more in having more options and more guys to throw it to. It's definitely, I mean, the loaded backfield, you name it. The line should be a little bit better in theory, which that's one of the things that OTAs hasn't shown us yet because, you know, Armstead really hasn't been out there. It's Ron Armstead hasn't had a chance to really be out there yet. But you still start to see some of the depth layers there at the position that, 
they're going to have to rely on. And you wonder, you know, how much of a question mark is that going to be? But I know we're going to get into that part later. But I think just overall, when it comes to Tua, it was interesting to see how he put that out there because that that is the big question going into the camp. Yeah, I mean, again, for me, it's I don't think that the arm strength is, uh, and I and I spoke about this last week. I've spoke, spoken about this several times. The arm strength isn't isn't an issue. Again, is it Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Matthew Stafford? No, but in Mike McDaniel even mentioned this as well, and I mentioned it in the story. It's not so much about like throwing the ball 80 yards down the field, because I mean, how many times does that happen where you throw the ball 80 yards down the field? It's more so yeah. like being able to hit your receiver downfield with timing. And so that point, Tua can do that. So like you said, I hope that we see more than 25 attempts of 20 or more air yards. I hope that they push the ball downfield. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, they're going to be afforded those opportunities because of the players that they've added. There's also people get hung up, too, on the distance and distance. Yes, like you said, is one thing, but there's also the accuracy when you're throwing on the run, when you're throwing under pressure. There's going to be a lot of plays where he's on the on the move, rolling out. And that's where the elite quarterbacks succeed in this league where you mentioned Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, who can sidearm a ball, you know, 50, 40, 50 yards down the field on a dime while he's on the run, like plays like that. We'll find out more this season if two is capable of doing something like that. And that's going to dictate obviously the future of this franchise and whether or not he's at the helm in the long term. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And that takes us into, as you mentioned, kind of the bigger picture um, of this OCA program. Um, So again, local reporters were at several practices over the past couple of weeks. Um, We got to see, you know, individual drills, team drills, everything in between. Um, and, you know, again, I just feel like my, my biggest takeaway is it's June. Um, you know, like, I'm not going to say the Dolphins are going to the Super Bowl based off of what, I, what I've seen right now. I'm not saying that they're going to be, you know, a terrible team based off of what I've seen. Um, but I feel like definitely, like, if I was to apply a grade to the offseason workout program, I'd say incomplete. Because there's still a lot of things that we don't know and that we haven't seen. And that starts with, you know, the players that just – didn't really participate for whatever reason. And Mike McDaniel said at the beginning of OTAs that, hey, there's going to be some veterans where it's just not very beneficial for them to, to be working out at this time of the year. Um, so we didn't see left tackle Teron Armstead. We didn't see um, Melvin Ingram, who was, you know, they, they signed a couple of weeks into um, OTAs and he was actually, we, we spotted him at a few practices, but he wasn't doing any team drills. He wasn't in, in uniform or anything like that. We didn't see the top two cornerbacks, Xavier Howard or Byron Jones. Byron Jones, because he's recovering from a uh, from an off um, off season procedure on his leg, and we didn't even see Emmanuel Agba a lot. I mean, he was somebody that was um, in in attendance at the off season workout programs, um, but you know, in terms of OTAs, he wasn't really doing a lot of eleven on eleven stuff. Um, so you just can't really get a sense, big picture yeah. for what the team is going to be. I think that um, Tua had some good moments. Again, it was good to see him connect deep with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and kind of get in a rhythm. Um, but, you know, there were too many times where the offense just looked very stagnant. The defense had it. So I think today, uh, Tuesday was another day where, yeah, there were some good moments. But overall, it looked like the defense was ahead of the offense, which is to be expected because they brought the entire defense back and the defensive coordinator. So that's to be expected. Right. Um, but again, I just say it's incomplete because I feel like this offense, even Raheem Mostert, you know, running back Raheem Mostert was a guy that yeah. I think is going to be heavily involved in this offense, but he didn't participate because he's still coming back from a knee injury. Um, yeah. So you just, you just don't. Have, 
Yeah, you just don't know yet. And I think that for me, the biggest question I have is the same question that I've had that we had last year, the same question that we had entering offseason workout programs is like, how good is the offensive line going to be? Um, because it came out and you know, we were able to finally report officially that Connor Williams is playing center. And that looks to be where he's going to start and where the Dolphins are going to play him. Um, so you can kind of fill in the puzzles and and kind of figure out who's at right tackle, who's at right guard, who's at left guard. I think there are very fair questions that remain about how good this offensive line actually going to be. Right. And that's the whole thing. It's like the pieces aren't there yet. You mentioned another guy, Alec Ingold, is going to be another one that's going to be you know, with the fullback spot. Yep. Another key part of that running game. He's not really – they're going to kind of ease him in as well, you know, coming off an injury. So the, the line – until they get all the main five guys that they're hoping to kind of, and, and there's still going to have to be some mix and, mixing and matching here and there during the season and yeah. injuries are going to come up. So depth is a question. That's what I, what, why I brought that up earlier about who's in there now kind of getting those reps behind where Armstead would be is big because they need to know who they can rely on and kind of set their depth chart accordingly at that spot and other spots along the line and kind of get a feel for how they want that, you know, the whole starting five to kind of be constructed come, uh, come September. But yeah, I mean, the, all those questions, like you said, it's still June, a lot of more, a lot more work to be done over the next, even just before training camp, you know, just behind the scenes. And, and, and one point that coach McDaniel made, which is very true, it applies to every season, but I think more than anything in a situation like this, where there's a lot of key players that you're waiting to make big contributions this year that are coming off injuries is to be smart, Keep yourself in shape and, and, and really report to camp in the best shape possible. So then you're not, you know, three, four days in and something comes up and you're dealing with nagging injuries already in July and, and, and it just sets you back. I thought that was good that, that he brought that up earlier uh, a couple of days. I think I don't know if it was today or a couple of days ago. Yeah, it was today. Today. It was today. Days. Yeah. But I thought that was, you know, I, again, it sounds like a like a common sense thing every year. But in this case, especially when you have guys coming off injuries, it's, it's ultra important for them to do that over the next month and a half. Yeah. And I'll say just as my, as my kind of final point on, on OTAs, um, I don't know how much this will really matter, you know, four months from now, five months from now, when they're in the middle of what Dolphins fans hope is a playoff run. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're hopefully playing important games in, in December and whatnot. But Mike McDaniel was really like leaving his imprinter or leaving his mark on this team so far. I mean, we saw it on the first day of uh, OTA practice with the orange jersey and the, the practice player of the day, which uh, gets DJ um, responsibilities. Um, was not a big fan of Raekwon's uh, setup uh, today. He had five songs in rotation and it was mainly country. I don't have a problem with country, but I, I was hoping for a little more diversity in there. Shout out to Javon Harlan because I, I was really feeling his playlist. Um, but, but overall, you, you are really feeling Mike McDaniel's like, like imprint on this team. And it's like kind of remarkable how many players are like, yeah, the vibe is different. Um, you know, he too is like, he's the most positive coach I've ever had. He's like yeah. one of the guys, again, I, I don't know how much it really is going to matter, you know, like a couple months from now when they're in the middle of a tough stretch in their season. Um, but it is just interesting to see that the way that they've kind of reacted to him and it seems like they've really rallied around him. Obviously the Flores dismissal was a really tough situation and the ensuing lawsuit and whatnot. And, um, you know, when you keep a lot of those defensive players and a lot of these players who may have had good relationships with, with, with Flo, um, you know, it's been interesting overall just to see the way they've rallied around him. I think that that's even how Christian Wilkins said. He said, hey, we accepted him, he accepted us, and we're just going from there. So, again, it's, it 
we always say that a, a team takes kind of the 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 psyche and the um, the personality of their coach. And it's going to be interesting to see how that develops with this Dolphins team in the coming months. Yeah, it's a good start. It's like I think it's a good base, good foundation to to, to build off of so far. But again, that's again we're in June, so that's that's just the that's what I would take it for. It'd be like a good start, good building block, and then now you'll know more as you get into the year as adversity starts to strike, you know, whether that's in terms of, you know, injuries, off field things or wins or losses on, on the field, you know, that every team's going to face that and how they respond, both coach McDaniel and the new coaches there and the team itself, you know, both newer players. And like you said, the mainstays that, especially on the defensive side that, that played for flow and, and, and got along well with them. Nah, for sure, for sure. Definitely a, a good first start to the uh, Mike McDaniel era, um, but still a lot more developments, a lot more challenges and obstacles to uh, to come in the future. And we'll see how this team responds. Um, we're going to take a short break. But when we come back on the other side of things, uh, I'm going to share an exclusive interview that I had with Dolphins great Ricky Williams. I was able to catch up with him, talk to him at the Cannabis Lab Conference in Miami. Um, So you definitely don't want to miss that. So stay locked with us. What's going on, everybody? So like I teased on the other side of the podcast, um, I want to share an exclusive interview that I conducted with Dolphins great Ricky Williams last weekend. He was in Miami for the sixth annual Cannabis Lab Expo and Conference, uh, which is a conference that uh, brings members of the cannabis industry together. If you don't know, last year uh, he launched his own cannabis lifestyle brand that sells cannabis related products and even streetwear merchandise. And he served as as the keynote speaker for this conference. Um, so it was really cool to catch up with him afterward, um, talk about the work that he's doing in the cannabis industry, and just his overall thoughts on his career and how kind of the perception of marijuana and cannabis um, has kind of changed in sports and, and sports leagues uh, since he left the league. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this exclusive interview. All right, cool. First, I just want to say thank you so much for you know, giving me some of your time. Um, you know, I'm sure it's a busy day for you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I spoke this morning, but it's it's a conference. And yeah. there's some, of course, interesting panels. But uh, for the most part, it's just, it's, to me, it's more about community, you know, and that yeah. people are coming from all around the country to Miami to talk about cannabis. And so I feel like I want to be a part of the conversation until we got ourselves down here. Yeah, so I, I guess I want to start with, I, I'd be remiss without asking, obviously, like you said, we are in Miami. You spoke about your experience being traded to Miami, kind of yeah. finding the hookup. I guess just years, years removed from your experience in Miami, just how do you look back on that time? What are your thoughts, your feelings when it comes to Miami? I mean, just how do, how do you feel being back in the city? Well, I think in general, you know, the, that specific time when I got traded is 18 years ago, almost 20 years ago. And so I just turned 45. And so looking back to my 20s, you know, it's like an older man looking back on the younger days. And usually it's like there's laughter because you were young and trying to figure things out. But also the world changes in 20 years. And so a lot of times when I reflect, it's, it's funny of thinking like how drastically things have changed. And I mentioned it in my talk that, you know, it was like a horrible thing back then. And now I'm in Miami sitting on a stage and talking publicly about it. And so... For me, the big thing is is looking at a, my younger self and appreciating like the growth and the development of how I got here. And so much of that growth and development happened here. And 
last night, I was like reminiscing, you know, kind of like the whole trajectory and really kind of tying it all together. So a very special time in my life where I think uh, I became an NFL football star. I also became infamous, but I also grew up, you know, because I had that year off and I had to come back and face the crowd and tell my story. And you know, I finally think like when you're in a relationship with someone, you know, you're getting to know each other, everything goes great and you have that really big like fight, you know. And either it ends or you know each other like better and everything deepens. And I feel like everything I went through here in Miami when I left and I came back, like after I came back is like we were like, it was a deeper relationship. You know, I wasn't just the star running back that it was, it was, it was deeper than that. And so I love my time in Miami. And I always tell my wife, if we didn't live in Southern California, number two would definitely be Miami. So, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, you leave the game uh, for a year, you come back. Um, I mean, you, you play several more years in Miami before, you know, going, going to Baltimore and then wrapping up your career. I mean, you were in a position where, I mean, you, you're kind of free from the NFL rules and regulations and drug testing program. And obviously, you can kind of do whatever you want without, like, the, that kind of specter over yeah. you. Um, but, so, but you not only, you know, I guess use it, you know, recreationally or whatever, but you decide to um, kind of do research, um, investigate the industry and really, you know, dive into it fully yourself. I mean, where did that come from? Because again, you could have just kind of went off and... Yeah, and I tried to, to be honest. You know, when I, when I left, I was like, yeah, a little bit of, you know, post-traumatic stress. So I was like, okay, I have my own personal life, but I don't need to deal with it publicly. And a former teammate of mine, Kyle Turley, reached out and said, there's a conference in Arizona. We'd love, you know, for you to come out and tell your story. And I was like, you know, first of all, like people are like, there's conferences, you know, you can talk about this. And he said, yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm trying to like stay low key. I was living in Texas at the time. I was like, I'm just trying to stay low key. I hung up the phone and I thought about it. And I was like, you know, this is an opportunity, you know, an opportunity to like kind of come out of the shadows, you know, or more just be more my authentic self instead of compartmentalizing and hiding parts of myself. And so I called him back and I said, you know what? Everybody knows I smoke anyway. Like, yeah, I'll do it. And that was really the start. That was really the beginning of me stepping into the industry is I went to Arizona and I, I told my story for the first time. And I was nervous as I was doing it, but it was so cathartic, you know, just to, to tell my truth. And as I spoke it, I realized there is absolutely nothing wrong with what I'm saying. If anything, this is actually probably inspiring a lot of people. And so after I finished speaking, I went down on the floor and I was looking at the different booths. And probably 20 people came up to me and, and basically told me I was their hero. And I never knew this because it's been on the hush, but speaking publicly about it, I started to get feedback about people that were going through the same struggles I was going through. And because of my story, you know, they were encouraged to keep on pushing through. And so I realized, wow, I affect more people when I share my story than when I hide it. And I felt the pressure then to, to keep telling the story. So obviously, as you mentioned in your keynote address, the stigma has started to change. You know, you, you talk about kind of coming out of the dark ages. So um, sport, professional sports leagues are changing their tune on it. Um, more athletes are even speaking out about it. Um, you know, I was just looking it up the NFL. I mean, they don't they don't really even test for, for that. Well, they don't suspend anymore. Well, they still test. But it's yeah. still, but they, they shorten the window of testing. They made it easier to stay out of the drug program. And they've made the drug program less punitive. So to me, those are huge, huge steps. And the, the biggest thing that bothered me is, you know, I'm not perfect, but I feel like I'm a good person. I try to do good things. I try to take care of people. My teammates will tell you the same. I'm a hard worker. I bust my ass. There's no reason that someone like me shouldn't have a place in the NFL, regardless of what we're doing off the field. Because when I showed up, 
I delivered, right? And to me, that like, and I was a good person, right? Those should be the qualities I think that we that we look at now. You know, what's in people's urine? Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it? I know it's been closing in or coming in on a year since you launched your Heisman brand. I guess so what has that process been like of kind of undertaking that, and what have you kind of learned from that? Wow, that, it's been a huge undertaking. Um, you know, and really, it's the, I was thinking about this. It's the first time since I retired from the NFL that I was really, like, focusing in on, like, something like that, like a real job, you know? And what, I, what I've noticed is, like, all the coaches I've ever worked for, because I'm not a coach, but, I'll, you know, I'm the, the president of the company, so I'm in leadership position. And I just felt like everything I've learned from my coaches is, like, coming through in the way that I, that I talk to everyone and realizing, you know, that you can't take the football player out of me. And the way that I, I go about business is the same way that I was trained to go about the football field. And so much of that is the team. And the team working together, taking care of each other, making sure we're on the same page. And it's, it's been fun to bring those qualities from me over into this business that I'm creating. Because I, I feel like when you're starting a brand, right, so many people when they start a brand, it's more of like, how can we trick people into thinking we're cool so that they'll, they'll buy us? But I think for a brand to have like legs and to have sustainability, there has to be some kind of story or meaning behind it that people that feeds people that adds value. And so it's been great, like working on that and, and translating who I am and my story and the team we're building into something that that provides value for people. Yeah, I know this is probably a very open-ended question. We just we're talking about how you know you're just uh, expanding into the Northeast. I guess what's next for Ricky Williams? Because I know in your playing career, it's you you know you you didn't fit you know a certain stereotype. You didn't act a certain way. You didn't do things that people expected to you. So yeah. What, you to do? But yeah. Like, what other ventures? What other things do you have on your mind to explore? A great question. So really, it's it's that same idea, but but trying to turn it into a brand, right? Because you know, when, when everyone, and we all come from, like, we're all been conditioned to try to fit in. So it's not a negative thing, but it's something that we have to overcome if we want to be happy. We have to learn to be ourselves. And so I'm trying to make being yourself cool so more people start to do it. Because when, like, on a team, when you're the only person that's willing to be yourself, you're the outcast. But when you, like, when I went to Baltimore, you know, it was so different. Like, that, that culture there, it was amazing. Like, Coach Harbaugh, like, he would say, you know, for us to win, individually, all you guys have to let your light shine. That means be an individual. And, and that organization, it was a team, but it was a team that, that loved and rallied around each other because we were all celebrated each other's individuality. And so, I'm, like, as Heisman, that's really what I'm trying to do is encourage people, like, trust yourself, be yourself. Everything will work out all right. Like, I'm proof, you know? I appreciate that. Is there anything else you'd like to add or it's on, weighing, uh, kind of on your mind? Mm. You know, a big part of our, of our model is really about storytelling, you know, and again, the story I shared with you about that first conference of like sharing my story of how I use cannabis, you know, to be successful, like that's a positive story. But so many people who are using cannabis and it's contributing to success are not saying anything because they're afraid of the judgment. And so I, I did a podcast with Julian Edelman last week and, you know, we were talking and we get to some point in the conversation where he's like, you know, He's like, everybody knows you smoke weed. He's like, tell us, tell us about the story. You know, how did you start? And so I, I told him the story. And after he's like, you know, he's like, I never told anyone this. And people don't really know that I smoke. But after hearing you talk, tell your story, 
doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with it. So he like started talking about his experiences with cannabis. And I think that's what our brand can do is to help people become more comfortable sharing their story and their real experiences. Sure. Yeah. I have one quick question, if you don't mind talking to Daniel, yeah. for the camera. Yeah. Just kind of like, you know, Florida in itself, you know, where it's still a state that, you know, marijuana is not where it needs to be, you know, as far as recreationally. You know, what are your takes on like the future of, of, of marijuana in, in the state of Florida? Well, you know, my understanding of the, the story in the state of Florida around cannabis has been very interesting. Several years ago, it was on the ballot and it just barely, like, recreational cannabis just barely didn't pass. But medical passed a year later. And it's an interesting market because, you know, most of the people in the industry think that when it's fully legal, Florida is going to be one of the top three states. And it's coming, you know, it's just coming along more slowly. The fact that there's medical here, it's great, but yeah, it does need to, 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 to catch up. But it's a conservative state. It's, it's coming. So once again, I want to thank Ricky so much for the opportunity to kind of pick his brain a little bit, catch up with him, talk to him about all the work that he's been doing in the cannabis industry. Uh, and that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins Debt Podcast. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, it's the end of the Dolphins offseason workout program, but we're still going to be here uh, in the lead up to training camp, talking all things Dolphins breaking down the team and how they rank in the AFC before the start of the 2022 season. So definitely, definitely stay locked into the Dolphins in Depth podcast and uh, the Miami Herald website for uh, your up-to-date Dolphins content. Um, we'll talk to you guys soon, but until then, you guys take care. Bye.